My Mother, The Person and the Patient is an original podcast written and hosted by me, Fortuna Kuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdusamid Muhammad, Ayaya we call her, and that's the Somali word for grandmother, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayaya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. During COVID lockdown, my mother's Alzheimer's progressed faster than it had the eight years previous, because at this time, the Alzheimer's began to impact the functions of her major organs. And that was not happening in a way where you would know somebody had a heart attack or somebody had a stroke or nothing like that. It was Saturday and we put my mother down for a nap for an hour or so. My sister was visiting and there was a support worker at home to help us out. And an hour later, we tried to wake my mother up for lunch, but we could not wake her up. We could see she's breathing. No matter what we did, we called her name, we shook her, we put cold water on her face, and we could not wake my mother up. And this lasted for two, three minutes, the longest two, three minutes of my life. After we tried to wake her up that long and we couldn't, we decided to call an ambulance. So the ambulance people came. She was still like that. They tried to wake her up. They couldn't. They checked her blood pressure. They did all kind of assessment. Five minutes into it, my mother woke up with a start. Like you would wake up if you were in deep sleep and somebody walked into your room, opened the door, banged something, and then you jump uh, with a start. So it's like she forgot to wake up. That's the only way I could explain it. So then we decided to transport her to the hospital. So we got to the hospital and um, they tried to do assessment. This is right after my mother stopped being mobile. So she's not walking on her own. She needs to be lifted into the wheelchair, out of the wheelchair. So she's not walking on her own and she's not helping. If anything, she resists any movement. So the ambulance people were fantastic. They came in. They were able to lift her over my five-step stairs in my raised ranch and get her into the ambulance. We got to the hospital. It was really, really difficult to do the assessment, the precise assessment we needed to do because my mother would not sit still for MRI imaging to take place. We had to struggle and I had to be literally on top of her to get the CT scan done and a blood test, and EKG. We were in the ER over 10 hours, entire day of Saturday, and this is COVID time. So I was assessed and was allowed to go in, but if I left, I wouldn't be able to go back because the hospital has to monitor and, and minimize people coming in and out. But they realized my mother needed me to be there. A, she doesn't speak English. She is confused because she has Alzheimer's and they don't have somebody to supervise her like that. So I'm staying there with her and we did the CT scan, which really took a long time. The scan technician, I was so grateful. He was very patient with my mother and I to do the test. And then sometime on Sunday evening, maybe around seven o'clock or so, the doctor came and he said, your mother has 
pulmonary embolism, which is, he explained it to me, blood clots in the lungs, and she has congestive heart failure. He said there's nothing we can do with the congestive heart failure with her situation, but we are going to put her on blood thinners to make sure the blood clot doesn't cause more problems and she will have to be on the blood thinners indefinitely. And he said, that's it. And I'm going to discharge you. So I said, okay, if you discharge me and it's Sunday night, I will have no way to get my mother home because I have to hire private transportation company and they are not working Sundays. And he said, no, 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 the nurses will call you and the private companies will come and pick your mother up as long as you are willing to pay. I am willing to pay. It's a lot of money. It's over $200. And I only live about four kilometers away from the hospital. I said, but they're not working on Sunday evenings. And he insisted, yes, they are. And he left and he discharged me. I called the company and nobody was answering their phone and the nurse called and nobody answered. So I had to stay at the hospital all night Sunday, but my mother was discharged. So we had no nurse attached to us and we had nobody to helping us with things. So the nurses, every time I went up to them and I just said, okay, I need to change my mother or I need a snack for my mother or I need dinner for my mother. They would say, what's your mother still doing here? She's not in the system. She had been discharged. And I had to explain every time the shift changed. So the shift changed 7 o'clock Sunday night. And I had to explain to that nurse and get help from her, even though my mother was an extra load onto her load because my mother wasn't on the system anymore. She's been discharged as far as she knew four or five hours ago. What was I doing there? And then when seven o'clock in the morning came, I had to explain to the morning nurse about my mother's situation. And that nurse again said, what are you doing here? Your mother is not supposed to be here. Well, I know she's not supposed to be here, but here we are all the same. At one point, I went to the the warming, they have this warming thing where the blankets are in and then you can get a really warm blanket. And my mother likes it and the place was really cold. So I would go in there and grab a warm blanket. At one point, somebody, a nurse or somebody or caretaker saw me and said, you're not supposed to be getting in those. You're supposed to be asking a nurse to get it for you. And I don't want to ask a nurse to get it for me because nobody's assigned to me. I don't know who to ask. So I looked at that person and I was so upset. And I usually don't really like to get upset with people that are helping my mother. And I just said to her, sue me. And so I had to stay in the hospital until 11 o'clock next morning when that private transport was able to come in. If I thought advocating for my mother was challenging while she was mobile, I came to realize with that experience, it will be exponentially harder to advocate for her when she is not mobile and she's running into greater health challenges. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of 
her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. The following chapter is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. Timira waited until Farah was asleep that night before she proceeded to tell her father everything. The story of her life from the minute she stepped off the truck that whisked her away from home and everything familiar. She took her stool and put it close to her father. She sat down, laced her fingers together. Abo, I had to leave. Her father listened intently, sitting on a stool only two feet away from her, leaning forward. His elbows rested on his knees, as if ready to take in every word. His stout face wore the same deep concentration it had during the court proceedings for Isaac's killers. But Timiro's story wasn't as horrific as her brother's loss. Nietzsche Kane didn't beat her or deny her rest, food, or other comforts. He never questioned her about how much she'd spent. She could buy whatever she wanted. She even had a housekeeper. Her complaints had nothing to do with something that happened to her. It was all about some deep-seated feelings she couldn't explain. Would her father understand why she had to leave? Would he be able to explain it to the elder? She wrinkled her nose and began by telling him how the entire town smelled horrid, from the market to Nietzsche Kane's bed. I couldn't even eat because the food smelled just as bad, she said. At least I thought it did. That wasn't enough to leave a husband, to destroy a marriage Timira knew. Even if her father agreed with her decision to come home, the rest of the villagers would scoff at her at best and abandon her at worst. Abo, I had to leave. His eyes remained quiet for a long time before he spoke. That's what I feared. What? Did she fear she'd lost her mind? She'd left the land of reality and was roaming in a delusional place in the depth of her confused mind? Your mother is rolling in her grave, cursing the day she trusted me with her only daughter. His voice cracked and he swallowed hard as if his saliva going down with steady air. I knew she would be angry the minute I agreed to such a union. His attempt failed and tears pulled around his eyes, rolled down his cheeks and landed on his lap. My Allah, forgive me. Timira had never heard, not before or ever since, a sound so beautiful as the words her father spoke that day. He didn't doubt what she was telling him. It didn't seem she was telling him something he didn't expect. Timira jumped off her seat and wrapped her arms around her father's head, her entire weight upon him. She almost toppled him onto the floor. Soon they were both crying. You are home. 
Her father whispered comforting phrases. You are here. More than an hour had passed before he released her from his embrace and kissed her on the top of her forehead. Camilla's untimely return home raised more than few eyebrows, especially among the women. The whispers began that first evening as she stood before the cowshed, her arms wrapped around her father's waist. What is she doing here so soon after getting married? Their silent gazes seemed to say. Timina had expected such a reaction from the people in the village. Women didn't leave their husbands not so soon, but she didn't expect their accusing glares to her as much as they did. It was the heat emanating from their stairs that burned into her skin. For the days that followed her return home, as she moved between the cooking shed and the house, cleaning and cooking, their eyes followed her everywhere. You came to visit so soon? Marian asked her one morning, three days after Timiro came home. One hand resting on her hip, the other over her eyes to shield her from the bright morning sun. Timiro nodded because she didn't want to answer. That would have meant giving them more ammunition than she needed them to have. That husband of yours must be a good man to allow such a visit, Marian said. By the way she spoke, pronouncing the phrase to allow with emphasis, told Timira she didn't believe her. He must be, Timira said with a forced smile. She had no desire to tell anyone that she had deserted her home and husband. They didn't need to know this was not a visit but a homecoming, as long as she could keep them in the dark. She'd keep up the charade as long as she could, no matter how many times one woman or another asked her about the reason for the visit. The questions were always different, slightly rephrased to perhaps trip her up to expose more. Was there a fight? Newlyweds quarrels? Timura didn't fall for it. She gave nothing more than a yes or no, and a not here or aha there. If the adult women were interested in knowing the reason for her return, the girls her age or younger wanted to know about married life. What was it like to be mistress of your own house? Ambia wanted to know. Other girls, four or five of them at a time, including Saadia, stood by Timira and waited for her response. Eyes a glitter, mouths agape, waiting expectantly. The house was made out of stone to me to relish the comfort of their company, and I had a woman that cooked and cleaned, a housekeeper they called her. The girls couldn't believe her luck. Someone else did your chores? Sadia was in awe of such a luxury, and you did what? Just sat around? I mean, I helped a little. Timira said with a touch of importance. She loved holding their attention away from her troubles. But I didn't have to, only if I felt like it. The girls moved even closer to her. The house had a well in the middle of the yard where a motor pushed the water out of metal faucets. You mean you could wash any time? One of the younger girls standing behind Abia asked, Yes. And people there use a bathroom, not an outhouse. Timira knew not everyone in town had it, but the girls didn't know. 
and she had no desire to tell them and spoil the glow of their attention on her. Timira's description of the bathroom kept them awestruck by the comfort outside their village. From a place like that, I would never come home and be sad. Others agreed with her. Unanimous. Farah came running into the cooking shed two weeks after Timiro's return. That man is here, he said, with other men. Farah took Timiro's hand and pulled her close to him. What are they doing here? They want to see Abu. Timiro knew whom he meant when he said the man. Nita Kane was here to rip her well-worn disguise of coming home for a visit. She'd expected him to come sooner than he did but her stomach dropped and the muscles around her neck tightened all the same. Her throat constricted, her heart fluttered, beating against her chest hard. Go get Abu. She sent Farah to the field where her father worked, inspecting the crops for the upcoming harvest. When she stepped outside the cooking shed, she saw Nietzsche Kane walking toward her. His limb was more pronounced now than when she last saw him. He led a group of five men in her direction. Why did he bring so many? To have his elder with him was enough. But why drag five men as if he were heading to a battlefield, needing for a backup? Where is your father? One of the other men asked her. In the field, Timiro turned to Nietzsche Kane, hoping to assess his mood to gauge what expectations he had coming here. But his blank expression gave no hint of what ideas roamed his mind. I sent my brother to fetch him. The men stepped away from her, but Nietzsche Kane remained standing. He stared at her like he'd done every night in the room she shared with him for those six awful weeks. His eyes fixed on her traveling through her clothes. His gaze reached beyond her flesh and into the bones that framed her body. Cold air oozed out of him and ran through the very marrow of her bones. Despite the warm summer air of the midday sun, Timira shivered. Her teeth chattered. She wrapped her arms around her to keep herself warm. She wanted to leave to get out from under his spell, but she couldn't move. Her feet were stuck on the ground beneath her. She remained standing there until her father, far right behind him, was standing next to her. Go back in the kitchen, her father ordered, and his words pulled her out of her entrance. Gentlemen, this way, her father pointed to the house. All five men, including Nietzsche Kane, followed him. My mother, the person and the patient, can be found in Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to follow, like, and share, and join me next week as I share with you another episode of My Mother's Journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.